Well, hello everybody, it's Earl White from the Binocular and Telescope Shop, and this afternoon we've got the pleasure of having Mr John Cross from Celestron with us. Now, as a lot of you are aware, Celestron's been one of the leading brands in the telescope and optics business for many, many years. They've been in Australia for quite a long time. Well, I remember as a, as a little one going over to Astro Optical Supplies in Crow's Nest and pressing my nose up against the glass looking at telescopes there. And, and I, I know at Bintel we've been selling um, Celestron telescopes for a while. I, I think I bought a C8 from, from these guys when they were in another part of town back in the 90s. So it's, it's, Celestron's been around for a really long time and I suppose it's a good opportunity to introduce John and perhaps uh, get him to tell us a little bit about his role at Celestron. Hi all, uh, thanks for having us here. Um, my role with Celestron is as the Senior International Business Development Manager, which is a bit of a mouthful, but uh, basically means I'm in charge of um, managing the distributors across the, the region. And the region I manage is the Asia-Pacific region, so manage all the way from Taiwan all the way down to New Zealand. So, oh, fantastic. So yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a big territory and uh, yeah. a, lot, a lot of different cultures and a lot of different distributors to deal with, so yeah. I imagine keeping, keeping you busy. Yeah, this actually, each of those countries is quite interesting. They all have their own idiosyncrasies and their own way of doing things. But, uh, yeah, it's quite interesting visiting them and, uh, yeah, seeing the different ways that Celestron is sold in these countries. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Now, let's just talk a bit about Celestron products for a while. Um, uh, one of the really cool products that we've seen at Intel the last 12 or 18 months has been the Celestron um, StarSense Explorer range. And that, that's, that's sort of introduced a lot of people into astronomy who perhaps really had, had sort of nervously pecked around the edges and finally decided this, this is the way to go. Could you give us a few ideas what was behind the StarSense Explorer telescopes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, it is a pretty cool um, release. It's one of the coolest products we've come up with in, in quite some years. Um, not to say that we haven't had a lot of cool products because um, Celestron, you know, over its 62 years now, um, has always been known for being innovative and coming up with new technologies to include with their products. The StarSense Explorer uh, series, the, the, the main concept behind it is really just to make astronomy simple for the beginner. Um, I've, you know, over the years talked to people, you know, friends and family that have bought telescopes for their children or even for themselves and um, gone outside and uh, tried to use their telescopes and then, you know, had some difficulties and, and weren't able to find anything and you know the, the telescope either sits outside for a while or eventually gets thrown away. And of course, we don't really want to see you know people uh, get rid of telescopes. We want to get people engaged with astronomy. So the idea is to just make it that much simpler. Um, you get the telescope, you put on your smartphone. Um, the app then tells you, you know, quite literally, points you in the right direction uh, to find you know amazing things in the night sky. Okay. And look, was that aimed at any particular age group? You know, I know it's been very popular here with the people we have um, buying the StarSense Explorer telescopes. Um, we can't really pin down an age group. Uh, I know we had quite a few families, for example, last Christmas that I saw who bought one of the introductory models, say a StarSense Explorer LT70, you know, last Christmas, and they've come back this year to upgrade to one of the, you know, the, the 5DX or 6DX models. But it's, it's been very hard to pin down, like, you know, is it is it for young folks, is it for families, is it for... Retired people, is, you know, is, is there any particular age group you see more popular than others? Not, not, it's actually not aimed at any particular age group per se. Um, one of the things that we 
need bear in mind is that Celestron telescopes are already designed for 13-year-olds and above, um, just as a safety concept, you know, yeah, pointing yeah. at the sun, etc. Um, but no, there's no particular age group it's aimed at. It's just really designed to make the journey of the beginner that much easier. Um, but having said that, even people that are well um, established in astronomy can benefit from having a StarSense Explorer that will point them to some of the more obscure um, objects in the space and perhaps ones they not, might not know the location of. So with the app that's got a huge database of objects, it allows pretty much anyone to find something with you know relative ease. Mm. And I, I suppose too, we, we see also um, uh, people coming in uh, at every level wanting to see technology with telescopes and you know microscopes and so forth. And, you know, one of the first questions we get asked is, you know, do, how do I, how does this work with my phone or my tablet or my PC? Do you think this will be something we'll be seeing more of from from Celestron? Yeah, absolutely, and I think. StarSense Explorer isn't the first of that type of product for us. And if you actually even think about our name, Celestron is Celestial Electronics. Mm -hmm. um, Tom Johnson, the, the founder of the company, owned his own electronics company at the time and was basically working out a way to bring electronics into telescope manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, since our inception, we've been involved with technological products. So do we intend to continue in that vein? Well, absolutely. Um, Celestron prides itself on innovative products. Okay. And the other thing too along such lines, um, you know, just the general sort of space and uh, I suppose uh, astronomical communities out there, you know, that a little while ago, a few years ago, they were kind of fading a little bit. You know, we'd seen the end of the space shuttle program, there wasn't anything really cool going on, all the, all the missions were a little bit out there and I, I think too there was a little bit of a lull in interest, in public interest in space and astronomy. But in the last few years, it's really, really sort of come roaring back. Um, you know, obviously, what are Elon Musk and SpaceX doing in terms of their exploration of the solar system? Um, I think it's caught people's imagination. Um, and, of course, you know, just we, we're recording this just after the, the James Webb Space Telescope mm. has been successfully deployed and parked. Yeah. We, we're a few months away before we see any results from it. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, it's going to capture uh, enormous public interest. Um, is this something that Celestron sees in terms of the people that are coming to them about what sort of products, what sort of, uh, I suppose, uh, you know, fu future, future directions they're going to be going into? I mean, what, what's, what's Celestron really going to be doing to try and capture this renewed interest in space? Um, it's a, that's a very good question and um, a very long one, so I'm going to have to try and answer it in stages. <laughs> yeah, it's a, bit, it is a, bit of a, it is a bit of a complex one. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in terms of um, interest in space, I think, you know, since the origins of man, I think we've always looked up. Uh, and I think it's not a, you know, a current trend per se. I think it's something that, you know, mankind has always been looking up, you know, from the very early days. And, you know, even things like Stonehenge and the pyramids are astronomically aligned. Um, so in terms of a hobby, it's probably the, the, the longest running. Um, and yeah, it's obviously had its ups and downs and dips. Um, I actually was lucky enough to see a space shuttle take off. Um, well, yeah, in Florida one time. Um, and, you know, the advent of uh, commercial space flight and companies such as SpaceX and Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic, etc., are definitely spiking um, interest in astronomy. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's just that. I think it's also things like um, movies and popular culture is, you know, a lot of it, like things like Star Wars and mm -hmm. Star Trek and things. I think there are a lot of 
there's a lot of interest around it. But of course, um, you know, things like SpaceX and them talking about colonizing Mars and you know, how we you know, go about doing that um, has sort of reinvigorated people's interest in uh, astronomy and space in general. The one thing I think that separates um, Celestron from a like the companies like SpaceX, that's probably quite a few things, but um, one of those things is um, if you look at exploring space via SpaceX or Blue Origin or whoever, um, it's an expensive exercise. Now, there was a guy from Japan, a Japanese billionaire um, by the name of Yusaku Maezawa, who recently paid, I think it was about $80 million to do 12 days up on the International Space Station. And uh, he's also um, going to pay for a trip around the moon. Now, you know, I'm not sure how much that's going to cost, but it's definitely more than what it would cost you to buy a telescope. Well, that's very and, true. And, and, and I think that, you know, exploring space, to be quite honest, unless you're exceptionally lucky or exceptionally wealthy, your exploration of space, unfortunately, is has to be earthbound, and the, and the only way you're really going to do that is with a telescope. Exactly. And so exactly. I think that's the difference between us. We we're really trying to help people explore space, one you know from an affordable position, and also from the comforts of their own back garden or out in the field somewhere. So I suppose that leads to some of the next bit. Um, we, we get people we speak to every day, and we always try to point them in. I suppose, what we, we consider a bit the right direction mm. about uh, how to get that first telescope, um, something that's going to last, and also set realistic expectations about what they can do and can't do. Mm. So what, what if, if you were to sort of, you know, be chatting to folks who are looking at getting their first telescope for, for themselves and a young family, possibly, what would be your advice? What, what, what would you point them towards? So a young family, well, anyone really taking their first steps into astronomy, um, there's a there's a number of ways to answer that question. You know, um, binoculars is a is an easy and quick um, way to get into it because a lot of people have binoculars at home. Um, in fact, actually, interestingly, a binocular in essence is two telescopes Absolutely. put side yeah. by side. In fact, if you look up the, on Google the first pair of binoculars, you will see two telescope mm. tubes right next to each other. Um, and so that's a that's a good way to start. Um, but simply put, I would find a telescope that is one easy to set up right. and two easy to use. Um, and to be quite frank, you know, um, I like to compare a telescope to as a, as a light bucket. So if you've got a bucket outside while it's raining and you've got a Coke bottle, you're going to collect a lot more water in a bucket than you are in a Coke bottle. So the biggest aperture telescope, because photons act like raindrops, the bigger the light bucket, the bigger the optical tube, the more light you're going to collect and the more detail and clarity you're going to see in those images. So I suppose simple to set up, um, you know, easy to use, and the biggest aperture tube that you can get. Um, so, um, but if I was to put it into a nutshell, right now and today's technology, I would say go and buy yourself a StarSense Explorer. It's by far the best entry-level telescope, beginner-level telescope that you're going to find on the market, in my humble yeah. opinion. And um, I think you're very spot on about the, the light bucket. One of the things that we, again, you know, from our, our daily conversations, people are somewhat confused about as they come in and say, well, you know, how many times does this magnify? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's so many times magnification. And, and realistically, at the end of the day, it's it's not so much sort of a, how much the image is blown up, but how, how clear the image is and uh, how well your telescope is doing collecting all that information that's fed to it. 
Correct. Through, the, through, through its, um, through its um, optics. Uh, and then using that light bucket analogy again, you know, it's how much, how much light's being poured into your eyes not how big the magnification is. Yeah, and I think if you think of your eyeball or your iris, um, and you know the bigger that is, the more light that's coming going to come in, and the more detail you see. Again, when it's poor light, your your pupil will um, open up and allow more light in. So it's obvious an obvious principle that the bigger that um, collection, the more light you're going to see, and the more detail you're going to see. Again, magnification. If you're talking something that you know is ten billion light years away, you know some huge distance. A thousand times magnification, you're still not going to make that object that much bigger. It's about how much of that light you're going to collect and funnel into your eyes. So, therefore, and that's as you know, you know, our more high end telescopes are things like our 14 inch Edge HD optical tubes rather than a 50 mil entry level telescope. And that's one of those things, you know, you have to start on that path. Um, Galileo, you know, discovered the moons of Jupiter with something like a 50 mil telescope. So it's not as if you can't explore space with it. It's just with the bigger and better optical tubes as you go along, yeah. you're going to... The more you see. Basically. Correct. The more you see and yeah. the better that you see. And of course, one of the other things we, we've found that's just gone gangbusters here is this idea of astrophotography. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's, again, we, we used to, the, you know, everyone these days wanders around taking photos of themselves, pets, families, mm. their, their surroundings, their travels, their food, all sorts of things. It's just second nature. So, uh, one of the things we're always getting asked is how do I get into astrophotography? Mm. Um, it's, it's a complex question. I think a, a good way to do it would be to describe it as you can take basic astro photos, the basic astro picks quite easily and get some pleasing results, but like all photography, you'll be spending the rest of your life perfecting it. Yeah. So what, what have you got your tips? Like, how, how would you suggest someone to get started in astrophotography? What would be a good way to get going? Look, as you say, there's many ways to, to achieve astrophotography um, in its most fundamental and basic form. Um, I've, I've got a, don't want to promote the brand, but I've got an Apple iPhone 13 Pro. Um, I go outside, in fact, I did this literally last night, go outside and I saw Orion's nebula, or, you know, Orion as the constellation, and I had palm tree in the foreground. I took a photo and used my night, um, night mode, I think it's called, um, and I actually got a really nice image of Orion. So you can, you can get into astrophotography just with your phone. Um, taking that to the next level, then you can combine a phone with a telescope. And we've come up with a range of products called the NextYZ. Uh, it's a series of products in, in different capabilities, but in essence, it's a three-axis um, smartphone adapter that you can attach to not only telescopes, but binoculars, spotting scopes, and even microscopes. Um, and that is that you simply put that behind the eyepiece of a telescope and are able to capture astro mm -hmm. images. Um, in fact, the recent lunar eclipse, I did exactly that. And a lot of people are, are taking images now of eclipses, lunar, not solar, um, and you know, getting really good images. Um, that's that's probably the most you know simplest way and cost-effective way to get into astrophotography. Mm -hmm. But of course, then you can just start taking the next steps. And we have uh, Celestron doesn't make a great range of um, astrophotography equipment. To be frank, um, we have a, a range of what we call solar system cameras. Um, they're five megapixel and ten megapixel cameras that you again attach into the eyepiece um, holder of a, of a telescope, um, and that will get you some nice images of planets. You know things in our solar system, and it even comes with software that will 
you know help you pretty up those pitches and stack those pitches etc so um, so they are they're simple ways and then of course then you can use things like DSLR cameras onto the back of um, you know certain level of telescopes like a 4SE even some of our SLT uh, models and up um, you can attach and direct couple your uh, camera with a telescope in essence, the, the telescope sort of becomes a telephoto lens for your camera. Mm -hmm. um, and then, obviously, then you can move up and Bintel has a range of products yeah, from other companies. Yeah, a good range of, of cameras to you know, go up as far as you, you want, effectively, around We've got some of our customers use them for um, you know, taking award-winning astrophotos yep. and we, we support the universities for research purposes. So, so realistically, you can start taking photos with your... Your, your smartphone, whether it's an Android or Apple device, Correct. on a basic telescope using something like the XYZ, and then the sky's the limit to part of the path. But yeah. So I, I think I think one of the things that we'd really like to say to people who wanted to get into astrophotography is it's it's a lot of fun to start with, patience and practice. Mm. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So it's it's uh, it's an area that um, will add a lot of joy to your astronomy, but. You know, don't forget that there's nothing like being out under the stars uh, at the eyepiece of the telescope too. Absolutely. You're using the best camera there is, and that's your eyeball. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. I yeah. agree with you. And look, let's just move on to another area of the, the STEM region. Mm. Um, and uh, not only do you produce products that um, take photos of things that are a long, long way away, or let you see things that are a long, long way away, um, but also things that are quite small and just under your nose. So... On the microscope front, uh, that's another area that's benefited from having integrated technology built into it. Um, so what are, what are people using Celestron microscopes to do? So, in terms of integrated technology, um, firstly, um, we've got a lot of integrated technology into our microscopes. Um, again, you know, we were talking about binoculars and them being two, you know, telescopes side by side. In essence, a, a microscope is a telescope turned upside down. So, when you're really thinking of microscopes, telescopes, binoculars, and spotting scopes, you know, we're the world's number one telescope manufacturer. And you know, if these all these objects are all these devices are really just telescopes in varying forms, I think Celestron is your, the company of uh, of choice. Um, so yeah, turning your telescope upside down, it becomes a microscope. That's what the very first ones look like. Um, literally a tube, a telescope tube, um, just with a stage holding it in place. Um, the technologies now uh, include things such as flip screens and you know LCD screens and inbuilt cameras that will allow you to take both photographs and videos um, so that you can share. They're designed for you know use in a wide variety of applications. So you know from schools to electrical work to jewellery to you know you know for people that are out in the field doing um, botany of one form or another and yeah. um, you know we've got portable devices that have inbuilt batteries you know there's there's a range of technologies that have been incorporated into microscopes now and, and the other thing too we, we get a lot of requests from people who want to hook up microscopes to external monitors either so they can see you know, next to them on a workbench or a laboratory even in the home what they're viewing or put it up on a big screen for educational use so that that's yeah, some of them have got direct HDMI connections too. So yeah, we've got a 1080p um, HDMI um, output uh, microscope, and I actually was at a um, trade event in Germany, uh, Photokina, and we actually had a big screen and the device, the 1080p uh, cam uh, handheld microscope, and you know we didn't actually have anything to show anyone. It was just how stand would be empty for a while, I'd get the microscope out and just put it on the back of my hand and you'd see like your hair on the back right. of your hand and onto your jeans. Next things, people are walking up 
grabbing the microscope and putting it onto their genes to see the material, putting it onto, well, kids were coming up and putting it in their ears and in their mouths and all sorts of things. But it's, and even actually hair, you yeah. know, looking at your hair, it was just amazing to see how people were, once they realised there was this technology, what they were just going, wow, oh, you can do this and you can do that. And there's this whole world, of course, you know, just at our fingertips and backyards. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, from rocks, minerals, bits of, you know, insects, bugs. And you know, the other one we, we're quite amazed at is people who use them to look at, um, like, very, very small mechanical devices too. Yeah. You know, watches, um, computer chips. It's just this amazing sort of thing to, to view and see what's, what's happening, you know. Absolutely. Actually, one of the things I used to show kids, and it was the old $10 note, um, and it had the uh, man from Snowy River. Mm. And it was one of our, you know, we've got the most secure currency in the world, apparently. Um, one of those security features was the, that they embedded next to Banjo Patterson the line of, uh, lines of man from Snowy River. Now, you'd have a $10 note in your hand every day of the week, and you wouldn't notice it. Yeah. But you get a microscope out, and then you go, you know, there was movement at the station for the word to pass around. And it's, you know, again, one of those things that I think a lot of people think microscopes are for, you know, scientists and you know, yeah. people in labs and things. It's amazing that once you've got one at home, you know, particularly our portable ones and digital portable ones, um, the applications that you can apply yeah, to, a like a cut on your hand or got something stuck in my tooth, weird little things that you can actually use them for. But yeah, they're, they're a wide variety and the, the technology that's behind them nowadays, you know, portability. We used to have a Wi-Fi model as well, but uh, we discontinued it, unfortunately. Um, now, the other thing too is just moving on a little bit, another, another area of products which we've got from Celestron is that, uh, you know, we, a lot, Australians traditionally spend a lot of time outdoors um, uh, travelling both locally and also just closer to home. And look, COVID still seems to be with us. We're recording this end of January, I forget which year it is, 2022. <laughs> so the, you know, yeah. it still rolls on. Yeah. But we're slowly getting back to our day-to-day -day activities more and more. Mm. Um, and one of the things we always like to do as Australians is get out and about, mm. uh, spend a lot of time outdoors. Um, and we, we often have folks come in and say, look, I'm after a pair of binoculars, say, for whale watching, or do I need another pair to go to cricket or to football, or, you know, just for a bit of scenery view. Is, you know, can you, can you get sort of binoculars that would fit right across the board, or is it best to specialise? Or that's, it's, a hard, it's a tricky question. Yeah, it is it? a tricky question. Um, I suppose I'll just apply my own personal side of that. Um, so I've got a pair of 10 by 42, so... 10 times magnification, 42 millimeter um, objective lens or aperture. Um, 10 by 42 that I kind of use as my general purpose all-round binocular. Um, and yeah, I could use that for while watching and yeah, I could take it to the cricket. Is it, but the problem with that I suppose is, is it ideally suited to all applications? Well, no, not really. Um, you know, if I was going to the cricket, I'm probably thinking, I need something that's lightweight and you know compact, so I would go with something like a um, an eight by twenty one, a Posh G two for a Celestron model, um, and you know that folds up, fits in my pocket, still gives me eight times magnification, twenty one mil aperture. That does the trick for a game of cricket. Um, for whale watching, you know, I probably might even I'd, I'd use a binocular, but I might even move to a spotting scope. Yeah, we'll um, talk about that in a moment. Yeah, yeah. So like, we've got a a hummingbird um, spotting scope, mm -hmm. um, which is a very, it's called a, a micro spotting scope. It's, it's a tiny little uh, device. 
uh, pretty much fits in the palm of your hand. Um, and with that, it's got, a, I think, a 9, by nine to 26 times magnification. It's got a 56 mil aperture. So I would use that on a tripod, hummingbird tripod, and that would give me a, a great view of, um, if I was going whale watching, it's also portable. Now, yeah. I'm talking whale watching from, from the, the coast. Land, yeah, the so, That's yeah. If I was on a boat, again, you know, you would be looking at something that is waterproof, quite obviously. So, again, I, I don't think there's a, an all-rounder per se, but um, I think that you would probably more likely want to specialise, you know, for certain things. But as I said, I've got a 10 by 42 and I can take that to pretty much most things. Yeah. No, it's, it's I suppose it's that Goldilocks sort of size, the 8 by 42, 10 by 42. Yeah. And, and just to reiterate as well, once again, a thing we get a lot of questions about is what does the size mean in binoculars? The, the first number is how, ma how much it magnifies. So an 8 by 42 means it magnifies eight times. And the 42, the number after it, is how big the front lens is. Correct. So in other words, yes. if they get if they get too big, they can be quite heavy and expensive. On the other hand, um, the larger the lens, the more light gets in and more detail you see. So that's one of these. Well, with, with optics, it's always just getting the right advice and making sure that yeah, actually, I think the point you make, and I like to uh, sort of stress it, is that when it's um, 10 times or 8 times, I use 10 times because the math is easier, mm -hmm. if something is 10 kilometres away, it will appear as if it's 1 kilometre away with a 10 times magnification. Mm -hmm. So, um, and yeah, also you were talking about the weight. Again, there's grades of binocular, and you'll find that perhaps some of the more higher grade, perhaps more expensive binoculars will actually have a lighter frame because yeah, they're using... Materials. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So, um, it's one of those things, you know, you, you get what you pay for. And yeah. uh, with, with bird watching, you know, that, that's the other thing too. We've, we've found a lot of people who are very, very interested in bird watching. Mm. You know, we've had a big involvement in the bird watching community here at Bintel for many years and we have people coming in here every day after binoculars for bird watching. Um, and we've got such a wonderful selection of, of wildlife you know, yeah. feathered and non-feathered, not, not just out in the country. You know, you've, you've only got to look at um, some of the online directories of, of seeing, even in inner city regions in Sydney and Melbourne, the, the massive numbers of species that have been spotted. Yeah. And it's, you know, you, you can't set your foot out the door without, without running into some of our uh, native Australian wildlife. And it's, it's really wonderful. But do, do you have a, like a, um, uh, for, for bird watchers, is there anything particular they should keep an eye for going just extending that? discussion about binoculars a bit further. Yeah, look, um, it's, again, I would probably suggest that if you're, when you're bird watching, there's many ways to go bird watching. Again, you know, if you're standing still, if you're doing it from your back garden, or if you're out trekking through the bush. Um, for those that are getting out and about, um, I would suggest probably something along the lines of a seven to eight times magnification. Um, and, you know, 32 millimetres or 42 millimetres, you know, for, you know, bringing that detail. The reason I say seven to eight is beyond about eight, I think it is, the shake uh, from yeah, your holding a binocular in your hand. Yeah, so, you know, I would try to, map, you know, not go too much further than about eight, as mm -hmm. I said. Um, and then again, it comes down to things like comfort. So, um, our trail seeker and our regal uh, binoculars come with a, a neck strap and also a harness so that it actually wraps around your chest and allows you to uh, take the weight off your neck. Mm -hmm. So um, I would suggest things like that, if you're, you know, particularly if you're out trekking, you need to take all these little other factors into play. Um, again, maybe coupling it with a monopod, um, you know, which is something that's quite lightweight, it's quite compact, and it allows you to put your binocular, with a binocular adapter, 
onto the tripod, which gives you that little bit of stability again. So, um, but uh, yeah, there, we have a wide range of binoculars that will be suited to it. Um, Nature DX, as I said, trail seekers, regals, EDs. And uh, the other thing too, you touched on spotting scopes earlier on, and you know, we, when we talk about um, binoculars and uh, uh, so forth, what, what's a spotting scope? So really, wh where, do you, where do you start using spotting scopes? In other words, at what point do you say, these binoculars, no matter how, what size I get, no matter how powerful, really not cutting it, I need to move up to a spotting scope. What's the, what, what's the sort of um, magic point there that you want to say this is what you really need? Um, again, that's another tricky question. I think you're trying to hit me with tricky questions tonight. Okay. But uh, my standard response is remembering the spotting scope is a telescope. But a little bit different, though. Obviously, it has prisms involved where most telescopes do not. Um, so, but for me, I think it's the level of magnification. Um, where magnification is critical if you're um, looking at something at a remote hilltop, um, you know, with a with a spotting scope, you can get up to say 67 times magnification mm. with a Celestron spotting scope and a very good sized aperture up to 100 millimeters. So I suppose that would probably be that distinction was where I would um, probably go to a spotting scope. But again, the thing you got to remember is. Um, a spotting scope and a binocular are similar devices, you know, light collection devices, but the spotting scope is primarily used, I won't say always, but 99% of the time, with a tripod. So I suppose if you really need a stable image, and even perhaps if you're going to, like, again, if you're a bird watcher and you're using a spotting scope and you've coupled a DSLR camera to the back, you know, that's when you're going to need that stability on a tripod. So. Again, I suppose magnification is probably one of the things that would define it for me. Yeah. What do you think, actually? What's, well, what's your uh, answer on that? Yeah, I suppose the, my answer to this would be that you'd use a spotting scope in situations where you, you needed to see things at a fair way away that aren't moving around too much in a lot of detail. Yeah. So, uh, and it's, you know, we, we had a discussion a few minutes ago about the right size for, um, uh, for, for binoculars, the 8x42 or 10x42, etc. The, the, real, the real difference is that with the spotting scope, um, you're using high magnification, and because of the high magnification, you can't move it around as quickly. No. You yeah. haven't got that field of view. So if, you, if you've got something that's um, you know, out, in the, out in the open and in the distance mm. and is moving slowly, a good example would be whale watching, the, you know, your whale's yeah. a little yeah. whale watching. Yeah, yeah that, that would definitely be something that plays in this. Yeah, and even like people ask me, well, why would I not just buy a telescope and apply it to that? Well, you know, with telescopes, they're designed for things in space, and sometimes you'll get reverse images on yeah, telescopes. So, a spotting scope is designed for terrestrial viewing. And images it, right way up and left to right. To it, set up, yeah. Exactly, and also I think also with a telescope, if you change magnification, you do so by changing the eyepiece. With a spotting scope, you can just twist the dial and you know go from ten times to sixty times. Um, so, I think it's that convenience as well. So, yeah. All right, John, look, look, thanks for your time. It's Friday afternoon here. I, I won't, won't keep you all afternoon. I'm sure you chat about telescopes and spotting scopes and binoculars, all other sorts of optics mm. to uh, all afternoon. But um, thanks for coming in. Is there anything you'd like to just wrap up on before we, before we head off and have a cup of coffee and head off for the afternoon? <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose the only thing would, uh, if you do need to buy your Celestron telescope, binocular, spotting scope or microscope, Come along to Bintel and Earl will definitely be able to help you out. So thanks. thank you very much for having me along today, Earl. No worries. Okay, thanks, John. Catch thanks you later. So thank you. Bye.